Well, we are going to take these next few weeks of church. We have three Sundays counting today between now and Christmas Eve. And uh, I want to just say to you that this is coming up. By the way, I should say this here to you um, because um, Debbie will be announcing things later about Christmas Eve service, but that's a big deal around here. Christmas Eve is a big deal. We want you to come. Uh, it's, it's, a, it's, it's for us. It's for the community. It's a chance for our church to, to, to focus on what matters most. If you can carve out some time in your Christmas Eve to, uh, to remember before all the presents take place, to worship God, that would be incredible. So that's coming up, and I'll give off some announcements about that later. Meanwhile, we're going to take the next three Sundays between now and Christmas Eve, and we're going to talk together about the manger scene. The manger scene. Some of you are familiar with the manger scene. Some of you have seen very large nativity scenes where all the characters from the Christmas story are all in one big giant nativity scene like you see in the Home Alone first movie outside that church, you know. Um, but then there's the manger scene, which is the smaller setting, and actually, the, the manger scene, you can, if you've you ever read Luke chapter 2, which tells the Christmas story, there's a verse in there that describes the manger scene. It's Luke chapter 2 and verse 16, and it goes like this. It says, they, that's the shepherds, the shepherds, they, they came with haste and found Mary and Joseph and the babe lying in a manger. Now, I put that on the, on the stage in the, in the King James translation because that's how I grew up learning it in the King James. And as a teenage boy in church, sometimes, you know, your mind goes to, you know, all over the place and you have these wild thoughts, I guess. I don't know, just, we're young, we're all young. Sometimes when I'm old, I have weird thoughts. But as a teenager in church, reading that in that, in that kind of lingo, in that language, I saw that and I thought to myself, that must have been one crowded manger. Because they came with haste and found Mary and Joseph and the babe lying in a manger. And so I'm thinking, is that a king-sized manger? Is that a really big one? Like they have a, a, or is it just like, are they really stacked like cordwood? I don't know. But, uh, but um, the, 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 the pronunciation and the, the commas are important, okay? Mary and Joseph, comma, and the babe lying in a manger. But that was something that went through my little young head at one time. And so today we're going to talk about the manger scene. And... Um, I want to use that springboard for our next three weeks. So there are three characters you'll see in the manger scene, Mary, Joseph, and the baby. Now, I want to step back real quick and tell you that if you wanted to read the story of Jesus' birth, you should go to the New Testament or what we would call the Christian Scriptures or the New Testament. In the Christian Scriptures, they begin with four books that we call the Gospels, which are four books about the life of Jesus the four gospel accounts of the life of Jesus. And those four books are Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, and they are the beginning of the Christian scriptures. Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, and each of them tell some similar stories, some same stories with different details, and others of them tell unique stories. But all of them approach the birth of Jesus differently. For example, Mark doesn't even talk about the birth of Jesus. Like Mark opens up his book by talking about Jesus at age 30 doing his work. Like he just skips the whole baby thing. Mark didn't like kids. I don't know what it was. He just skipped it all, okay? And then John, John actually goes the other extreme. He goes all the way back to the very beginning, in the beginning uh, that, like Genesis 1, like creation, like God was, Jesus was there from the foundation of the world. So John takes the long view, and then he moves into the adult Jesus as well. But Matthew and Luke are the two stories that tell about the birth of Jesus. 
and they both take a different approach. And when it comes to the pre-birth story, in other words, before Jesus was born and lying in a manger, Matthew takes the approach of telling us the story of Joseph and what happened to Joseph before Jesus was born. But Luke, Luke takes the time and tells the story, a couple stories actually, but the main story was the story of Mary before Jesus was born. So they all take a different approach. And so today, we're going to talk about Mary. That's why, so this right here, if you're wondering what this is here, a couple years ago, we did a sermon series called Plastic Christmas, and we had a, a one-piece manger scene that someone had donated to us, and we used that, uh, we used that to, to, for that sermon series, and then we gave it away at the end of the series, actually, that time, um, to somebody in the church. Well, this time, someone it was actually Kim and Dan donated a manger scene, uh, an individual piece manger scene of Mary, Joseph, and the baby, uh, and so uh, to the church. And so I said, well, let's use the, um, the pieces. And because I'm talking about each character a different week, we just bring one piece out at a time. So today we're talking about Mary, and Mary's story is found in the Gospel of Luke. So Luke tells Mary's story before Jesus was born. We're going to pick up the story there today. And I hope you'll follow along in Luke chapter 1. If you're using your Bibles or you have a Bible app or, or whatever, you can follow along in Luke chapter 1. And otherwise, the verses will also be on the screen in the room and also on the screen online if you're watching online. But uh, Luke chapter 1, verse 26, let's begin. In the sixth month of Elizabeth's pregnancy, let me stop. You're like, who's Elizabeth. I thought we were talking about Mary today. You're mentioning Elizabeth. We'll get to Elizabeth. She's actually a part of the story today. But let's just put that aside for a moment here, okay? In the sixth month of Elizabeth's pregnancy, God sent the angel Gabriel to Nazareth, a village in Galilee. Now, Galilee would be the countryside above Judea. And inside of Galilee was a little town called Nazareth. It, for, for all accounts, historically, it seemed to be kind of a poor town. This was not a rich suburb of the big cities. This was like a very poor little town called Nazareth in Galilee. And God sends the angel Gabriel to this little town, Nazareth, to a virgin named Mary. She was engaged to be married to a man named Joseph, a descendant of King David. And that was important that he was a descendant of King David for the sake of Bible prophecies and, and about the Messiah. But I want to quickly step aside from reading our text and, and talk for a minute here, because this reminds me at this point in our story that sometimes when we read the story of the birth of Jesus or the story of Mary and Joseph, that we have the tendency to romanticize it in a westernized American sort of way in the 21st century, in a way that it probably wasn't so romanticized and definitely wasn't you know, like it is in our Western culture pictures today. It's easy for us because we celebrate the birth of Jesus as our Savior, so the whole thing is beautiful and the pictures are beautiful, but nothing about this is probably the way that we sentimentally look at it. For example, think about the manger scene. You think the manger scene was really awesome? Like, oh, I love the manger scene and the cattle are lowing, the baby awakes, but little Lord Jesus. You know, we sing the songs away in a manger. We love the pictures. They're so beautiful. Does anyone really think that was cool? To be born in a manger in a stable full of animals? Like, seriously. Like, I mean, how many of you ladies here who've given birth or ever hope to give birth, that's your dream right there. 
Like, I, know, I don't care how much of a naturalist you are, or if you're going to do a home birth, if you have a midwife, or a really good doula. I don't know what you got going on, but you probably are sitting there saying, I really hope that I can, I can go someplace out of town when I'm very pregnant, which is what happened to them, and get stuck in a barn somewhere and give birth to my baby in a barn. That's probably not on anyone's dream bucket list, okay? I mean, it's just, you know, we look at the postcards with our hot chocolate and cookies and our scented candles. Their scene was scented also, but we don't want to talk about what it smelled like, okay? This is a whole different game. So don't, we, we, we romanticize it, don't we, a little bit. But it was handy for, for Mary because later on she could say to Jesus if he ever left, you know, the door open, hey, were you born in a barn? Oh, you were, weren't you? So, but anyhow. So we, we, we have to remember that um, this is how we look at things today. And we tend to romanticize the romantic relationship of Joseph and Mary. Like Joseph and Mary, two kids fell in love. Their theme song was, you know, wouldn't it be nice if we were older that we wouldn't? I mean, they were just so, they were just in love. They, they met, they, they dated at Starbucks and they were in a Snapchat and they had a streak going for so long and they were just really, and it was great. And so Joseph and Mary, but that's not how kind of the culture worked back then. In the Middle East 2,000 years ago, including Israel, uh, you read that what we have in history tells us that a lot of the girls, they weren't treated with very many rights. Women, women couldn't, I mean, vote for sure. There wasn't even voting going on. There wasn't a democracy to vote for. They couldn't testify in court. They couldn't testify in court because their testimony was not considered as trustworthy as a man's. They couldn't own property almost ever, except for very special occasions and, and situations that circumstances allowed it. They didn't predominantly run culture or the finances of culture. If a woman worked, it was because probably she was a, a widow or was divorced or, um, you know, or, you know, unmarried and for some other reason or shamed or something. I don't know. And, you know, that she was in trouble because there wasn't much to do. That was, it was, a, it was a, poor, a poor person's life, a beggar's life. And, and, and women oftentimes would be betrothed to a man who could take care of them. In fact, men would come with a dowry to the girl's parents and say, hey, I want to uh, take your, your daughter. And of course, the virginity was a very big deal in that culture, part of the, you know, what the guy was paying for. It's just a really weird time that's hard for us to like to think about today. It messes with our categories. That's the kind of culture you're dealing with. And Mary's a young girl. She's a teenager. And she's engaged to be married to a man. Now, we all know how old he is. Was he young? Probably older than her a little bit, but was he pretty young or was he older? Sometimes there was older men. We know that when Mary is grown, when G we know that by the time that Jesus is fully grown and in his earthly ministry, that you see that Mary's still alive and Jesus' siblings are still around, but there's no record of Joseph anymore being around. So maybe he was gone by then. So we don't know the, the difference between Mary and Joseph in that department, but we know that she had a chance to get out of her parents' home and to be, have a man who come and put a dowry to take care of her, and she would be able to have kids, hopefully that's the dream, and be a mom, and that was kind of the, what a girl could live for in that time of history. That's how it was. So I, I don't say that, I'm not saying that there's no romance, because obviously there's always been hearts and romance and feelings. I'm not, I'm not downplaying that. I'm saying we westernize the story so much that it's good for us to think about the other side of how things worked back then. And we don't know how exactly the, the fabric of this relationship ran, but that's kind of the culture back then. It's just different. So whether Mary and Joseph had that romantic story or whether they had a traditional young lady figuring out life, like I just explained story, or something in between, we don't know. 
We just know that Mary was a young girl, a teenage girl, looking to get married. Joseph was going to marry her. He made the arrangements. He betrothed her, and they had plans. Now an angel appears to Mary, and Gabriel, the angel, appeared to her and said, Greetings, favored woman, the Lord is with you. Can we just be realistic for a minute here? That would freak almost all of us completely out. If, an, if a spiritual being appeared to you anywhere suddenly, and it's like, hello, greetings, greetings, earthling, you know? I mean, if, if a spiritual being appeared to you anywhere, alone in your room or walks through your wall or just descends from above or just, just standing there, or the worst thing, you look in the mirror and they're behind you when you look up, you know, or whatever. If, an, if a spiritual being just standing there and starts talking to you, well, in the Bible times, most of the time that that happened, people would pass out or at least lose their strength and collapse. So this is kind of creepy. Here's Gabriel, greetings, favored woman, the Lord is with you. And so verse 29 says that Mary, confused, confused and disturbed, right? Confused and disturbed, which I would be too, disturbed by who is this person and where they come from, and confused by what he just said. Confused and disturbed, Mary tried to think, what could this angel mean? Don't be afraid, Mary, the angel told her. For you have found favor with God. Well, that sounds good. You will conceive and give birth to a son, and you will name him Jesus. Wait, now I'm going to have a baby? And you got the name picked out for me already? Jesus? Okay. He will be very great and will be called the Son of the Most High. The Lord God will give him the throne of his ancestor David, and he will reign over Israel forever. His kingdom will never end. Now, it would help you to understand something important here. That to the Jewish people who, who looked to the promise, they had prophecies throughout the centuries before of God's working, and many prophecies had already come true. But the big prophecy they were waiting for was the prophecy of a coming Messiah to be their Savior. However, to most of the Jewish people at that time, they didn't think of the coming Messiah as being a what he, the Savior is to us today. They got to think of him as a political Savior. They thought the Messiah would be someone who would come and kick out the Roman government and get rid of them and reestablish the throne and make Israel great again and sit on top and take care of business. They had political, their idea, their spiritual idea, they, got, they had gotten their religion and their politics mixed up so bad, they thought that the coming Messiah was going to be a political figure. And that's always dangerous. And so they got, the, they got their eyes ahead to something that wasn't the case. They're looking ahead for a Messiah to sit on a throne. So when Mary hears this, I mean, you know, that's, if she was raised in that culture, she probably thought, oh, the Messiah, the King of Israel, going to come and make, you know, take care of business here and sit on the throne, and, and I'm going to be his mom? That's, that's a kind of a crazy story. But they didn't understand that he came to bring a different kind of kingdom, not to reign here, but to die here, to reign for eternity, forever, to bring all people of all nations, not just Israel, all nations, back to him through faith in his name. But Mary probably didn't get that yet. The Messiah is coming. And, and there's a big question that you and I kind of, you know, we'd look past it because we know the story. But the burning question in anyone's mind right then would be the question that Mary would ask next. She says, Mary asks the angel, but how can this happen? I am a virgin. Again, her virginity was a big deal to Joseph and to anyone who's wanting to betroth and 
you know, and, and take her, a girl like her as their wife. How can this happen? I've never been with a guy before. Like, that isn't going to work out. And the angel replied, the angel replied, the Holy Spirit will come upon you. And the power of the Most High will overshadow you. So the baby to be born will be holy. And he will be called the Son of God. He'll be called God's Son. Because you're not going to be with a man. You're not going to be with Joseph. The Holy Spirit will come upon you. You'll be a baby, you'll be God's child, God's son. That's what's going to happen. That's a crazy thing. It's an unheard of thing. It's a miracle. It's, it's like the resurrection someday. These are the things that God ordained to be, to be um, just signs of his divinity. The resurrection put a stamp that he was who he said he was. The virgin birth to get people's attention. All the miracles. He'll be called the son of God. And then, of course, um, there's another sign going on here. So the angel says, verse 36, What's more, your relative Elizabeth has been pregnant in her old age. People used to say that she, Elizabeth, was barren, but she has conceived a son and is now in her sixth month. Now, just think about that now. This is another miracle. And this is kind of a sign to Mary because another prophecy of ancient Israel, was that before the Messiah would come, God would raise up another prophet in the spirit of Elijah who would be a front runner for Jesus. And God had appeared to Elizabeth. Actually, he, an angel of God appeared to Elizabeth's husband, whose name was Zechariah. Zechariah was a priest who served in the temple at Jerusalem. And one day, a, uh, an angel appeared to him and told him that you and your wife, who are quite old and were never able to have kids their entire life, you just wanted to, but you couldn't, are now going to have a baby in your old age. And he didn't believe the angel. It was a crazy story. But she got pregnant. She conceived. And she was six months, six months pregnant. The picture, um, you know, you all know Zach, Zach who helped sing worship earlier, and Kathy, his wife, who's helping us in the kids program right now. Kathy's like seven months pregnant. So picture, this is this lady, but she's not young like Kathy. She's old. And this is a miracle. Like, listen, this is almost as much of a miracle as the virgin birth. You know, I'm talking about ladies who have a certain age, ladies, get a little older. Some of you ladies here, maybe a little beyond, you know, you know what I'm saying? Maybe you're my age, 50s, 60s, 40s, 50s, 60s, 70s, 80s. Someone comes to you, you get pregnant tomorrow? That's a little shocker. Yeah, that's going to that's gonna kind of be like a, a newsworthy item right there. So, this is a big deal. She, she's, Elizabeth's pregnant, six months. And, and God tells Mary, hey, God is doing some big stuff here. And that's where their baby's going to be John, the baptizer, who's going to be the front runner for the Messiah. But she's six months pregnant. That's a miracle too. So he's confirming to Mary that God is doing something really big here. And it says, for the word of the Lord will never fail. That's a great statement. The angel says, the word of the Lord will never fail. Now let me quickly say this to you, or not so quickly say this to you. It's easy for us to romanticize the story because we know how it turns out. We have 2,000 years of removal from the story in Christian history. It's all a big flannel graph story to us today and pictures and postcards and cute scenery. It's, it would have been easier even 50 years after this. Once Jesus died and rose again and the church was exploding on the scene for people to romanticize this moment. 
But let's not be goofy about thinking about how absolutely hard this would have been for poor Mary. Now, she's, she, she celebrates it too, which is to her credit. But, but just because she is a remarkable in, in celebrating this, doesn't mean this was easy, just because it's easy for you and me to read about. Because this was a total upheaval to her plans. I mean, she was engaged to get married to a guy who was counting on paying a dollar to his parents to get a virgin. A young girl. She had plans. This is her ticket forward to have someone care for her. Hopefully have babies to raise them. He'll take care of the bills. That's how culture worked. And all of a sudden, she's in a spot where she's going to have a baby? From How do you, how, look, this wasn't in her, her itinerary. And, and don't, don't say, all oh, you're being overdramatic, Arlen. No, I'm not. Some of you, when, when your plans, if we change your dinner plans, you get freaked out. You're like, oh, I got my structure here. You messed up my structure, you know? I mean, her life just got upended here. They're like, hey, um, you know, your hope chest? Yeah, about that, you know. Uh, this is a whole different thing going on right here. She was already registered, you know, uh, for her, her gifts at, you know, at, um, at Target. And I mean, this whole thing just kind of threw a curveball. What's she going to do? She's got to go back to Joseph and say to Joseph, Hey, um, jo- how are you today, Joseph? I'm doing well. Good, I'm glad to hear it. So how's your fantasy football team? Oh, good, I'm glad to hear that too. Hey, by the way, funny thing, I'm pregnant. Oh, but oh, I've never been with another guy. God put the baby here. I wonder how many times that story has been tried. In those days when they had the, because hundreds of years earlier, Isaiah the prophet had prophesied that a virgin would conceive and bear a son. And they looked at that as being the Messiah, but they also looked at that as being something else happened in prophecy one time. And there was some confusion in their time about what that even meant anymore. So I wonder how many girls used Isaiah as their scapegoat to their boyfriend. Oh, I'm pregnant. Hey. (laughs) God is amazing. Right. She's got to go tell Joseph, no, really. I'm accepting a baby. And I know we've never been together, but I've not been with anybody else either. God did this. Mm -hmm. Mary understood something that Joseph was most likely going to absolutely break off their engagement. By the way, she was right. If you read Joseph's story, which we'll get to later, not today, he did go to break off their engagement. So if she was thinking he's going to break off our engagement, she was exactly right in thinking that. That's what he was going to do. I mean, even if he believed her somehow, this crazy story about this is no guy, but sure, you're pregnant. But yeah, sure, no guy. Even if he believed this story, the problem is that messes up with his, his whole plan. He had a whole plan of his own. Men in those days, they have kids and their firstborn son is theirs. And he's a, he, he, it's, it's, it's a Jewish birthright for, in Israel for, for land and for title. It's, it's part of their legacy. To bring another man's child, another boy to the family as the oldest kind of mars the whole thing. And so Joseph, I mean, one way or the other, this is a bad deal for him. And she's got to go tell him this. She's going to be on her own. Now what, God? You gave me the miracle baby. Who's going to keep me fed and provide for me and the baby? Where does the, Look, I know it's easy for us in hindsight to think it all works out. But most of us can't figure out. We're scared of what's going to happen tomorrow. Her life was thrown a major curveball right here and right now by this news. What do you do when your dreams get changed? What do you do when God's plan comes along and messes up your plan? Here's what Mary said, and it's remarkable. She said, I am the Lord's servant. 
may everything you have said about me come true. That's amazing. What she's saying there is when she says, I'm the Lord's servant, what she's saying is, I recognize the, his lordship over the circumstances in my life. I look, I recognize his lordship over the unexpected turns of my life. And I, he's the Lord and I am his servant. And may it come to pass. And then it says, and then the angel left her. And that's very important. That's a very important statement that I don't want you to rush past. And here's why it's important. Because in today's culture, especially those who have angst against Christianity or against religion or against, maybe, maybe just against the barbaric practices where women don't have rights. And let's be honest, they just didn't. In the world today, it's still this way in certain parts of the world. And, and in, the, in the West, our sensibilities are offended at the idea of a girl going through so much with her body, her choice. Where, where's consent in all of this? From a man to all, God saying, the Holy Spirit will come upon you. You're going to have a baby. You know, like where's her say-so in all this? Here's her say-so. When God came to her and said, when the angel came to her and said, this is what God's looking to do, what God's planning to do. God already knew. We'll talk about this later, but God was, wasn't constrained by time. He knew. But he came and told her before it happened, this is what's going to happen. And he gave her the chance to say, I'm the Lord's servant. May everything you've said happen to me. And when she said that, when she agreed to that, the angel left her. And it would come to pass. So Mary had her moment to say, okay. Okay. Now, this is good advice for all of us today. Some of us, you, you've had things come into your life that you never planned for. You've had things come into your life that you never dreamed would happen to you. Some things, maybe good, some things are very bad. You've had curveballs thrown in your way. There are things that you've faced in life that you're like, where did that come from? And I don't want this in my life. And you didn't get an angel appearing to you, right? You didn't get an angel appearing to you to tell you, oh yeah, this is God's plan. But all of us can take a, a chapter from Mary here, and when things come into our lives that we did not ask for or we did not invite, and when our plans get changed by forces outside of ourself, we can all step back and say, I am the Lord's servant. In other words, all of us can say, I am choosing to recognize his lordship over the circumstances of my life. Can you do that today? Put your, put your, put your, your, your situation in perspective. You came here with a situation. Whatever's going on in your life, can you today, can I today sit back and say, what's happening in my life, I recognize his lordship over the circumstances of my life today. That, that whether I say he did it or he allowed it or whatever, he is still the Lord of all, he's still God. And, and he is Lord of my circumstances. And therefore I am his servant, I will trust him. I'm the Lord's servant in what's happening in my life. I may not have chosen it, I may not want it, but I'm the Lord's servant. Can we do that today? That's a big step. And if we, if we struggle to do that today, why do we think it was so easy for Mary? Can we say, may everything God wants to happen, happen. I'll trust him. I'll trust him. That was Mary's response. That's amazing. Well, let's go on. A few days later, Mary hurried to the hill country of Judea to the town where Zechariah lived. She entered the house and greeted Elizabeth. So let's pause. She runs off a few days later, so she doesn't stick around very long. Once she hears this news, oh yes, and she trusts the Lord and submits to his, his, uh, his call for her. But she probably has a pretty restless night. 
And within a few days of thinking about it, she jumps out of town. Now it's possible, it's possible that she told Joseph already, uh, guess what God said to me? It's possible. Or it's possible that she didn't. I tend to, I have no idea. I think maybe she didn't. Because I would picture, if we don't deify and make these people weird, that she's like, I need to go think this thing through a little bit. She leaves for three months. I don't know. She's like, uh, honey, I got to go on a trip. I get my, heard my cousin's having a baby. It's, yeah, it's pretty, she's pretty old. It's really crazy. Um, I'll be back. Mom and dad, I got, she just left a few days. She's out of town. And she heads off. And I'm sure that even though she's trusting the Lord, she's full of doubts. And how's this going to work out? Am I going to be my own? Will Joseph, what will Joseph do when he finds out? Am I going to be, what's going to happen to me, to my child? This is God's plan, but it's not my plan. I had a plan. I had the wedding announcement already being printed out on Etsy. And now it's all messed up. What's, what's going to happen? So she hurries off a few days later to where Zechariah and Elizabeth, Zechariah was a priest in Judea, in Jerusalem at the temple, but he lived outside Jerusalem in the hill country of Judea. She hurries to his town and she goes into the house to greet Elizabeth. Now this is a very important detail because God is giving Mary some assurance because she needs some assurance. And I know we just make it all like they're all amazing superheroes. She needed some assurance, no doubt. You would, I would. So she's talked to the angel. That was a, that, uh, the angel was assurance, but she's going to get some more assurance here. She walks into the house to greet Elizabeth. Listen, Elizabeth didn't know what's going on yet. It's not like she texted her ahead of time or FaceTimed her on her iPhone. She just shows up a few days later, walks in the house to, te- to see how Elizabeth's doing because she's pregnant. What? And also, guess what? Me too soon. She walks into the house And it says, at the sound of Mary's greeting, Elizabeth's child leaped within her, and Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit. This is amazing. Elizabeth's child leaps. You're like, she's six months pregnant. The baby's kicking. You're like, oh, honey, come over here. Feel the baby's kicking. Do you feel that? I felt nothing. Little brat. You know, the baby leaps inside of Elizabeth, and instantly she is filled with the Holy Spirit of God. And here's what she says. Elizabeth gave a glad cry and exclaimed to Mary, God has blessed you above all women and your child is blessed. Wait a minute. She doesn't know that. Mary was in the house bringing the news. You ever try to tell people, I have a surprise announcement. We already knew. Sure you did. There's always those people who already claim to always know. You're like, I, you're just a party pooper is what you are. I already knew. Okay. She walks in the house and she's like, I got news. And all of a sudden Mary's like, Elizabeth is like, full of the Holy Spirit. God has blessed you above all women and your child is blessed. What? How did she know that? It's like God's doing something here. And then she says this. She says, why am I so honored that the mother of my Lord should visit me? In other words, not only are you expecting a baby and I know, but you have the Messiah. How does she know this? Because when that baby leaped inside of her and God's spirit filled her, God spoke through Elizabeth, through the Holy Spirit, into Mary's life. And Mary needed this. I have no doubt. She needed to hear someone say, hey, this is of God. Elizabeth goes on. She says, when I heard your greeting, the baby in my womb jumped for joy. And you are blessed. You are blessed because you have believed that the Lord would do what he said. Mary Let me speak through the Spirit of God into your life, Mary, Elizabeth says. 
You are blessed and God is in this and you can trust him. Boy, what a, what a comforting and validating moment this must have been for Mary. Now I always wonder about Mary. Did Mary have the macro view? You know what I'm saying about the macro? There's the macro view and the micro view and the microwave also. The macro view and the micro view. You know what the micro view is, right? The micro view is like what's going to happen next. Like the micro view is um, saying what's, what, what's going to happen when I tell Joseph? And, you know, what's the people going to say in town? And what am I going to do next? And where am I going to live? And, you know, uh, I get some new clothes because I'm going to outgrow these clothes I wear. Oh, my goodness. That's the micro view. The macro view is how's this all going to turn out in the big long run? Did Mary have the macro? What did I say? Mary, Mary, did you know how it would turn out? Because I know that we romanticize the story, but if Mary thought, this is amazing, even if she was tempted to think that, she'd have to look past the problems of Joseph wanting to leave her and how she's going to take care of herself potentially to believe the promises will be good. But if she had the macro view, did she really know how it would go? Folks, listen to me. It wasn't all that in a bag of chips all the time. I know we, we, we think it's all wonderful, but do you think how hard it would be to raise the Son of God? Can we just step into that space for a moment? Mary would marry Joseph after Jesus was born. They'd have more kids together. They were not virgin born. They were just Mary and Joseph's kids. You know how hard it is to raise a bunch of kids and the oldest one's the son of God? The the, Jesus' brothers and sisters did not believe on him as the son of God. They didn't believe that's who he was. In his adult ministry, there's Bible record where his brothers and sisters were like, yeah, whatever, prophet. Oh, yeah, just go on and do your thing. They, didn't, they, were, they, were, they, were, they were not believers. They were skeptics. Imagine how hard it would be to grow up, you know, in the house, and your older brother was perfect. I know, he's perfect. I mean, seriously, how irritating is that? And so they, didn't, they weren't on board. And then when Jesus is 12 years old, they lose him one day, and they're stressed out. When they finally feed him, they want to kind of correct him for causing them a lot of stress. And he's all like, Silly woman, don't you know? I'm doing my heavenly father. I know who I am. And they correct you now. Oh, that's fun. And then he his adulthood and he starts his ministry and you have your other kids who are like doing their own thing and he's all around. And then you're worried about him because he's running around serving people. Is he getting enough sleep? Is he getting his vitamin C? You know, he's running around. And then when Mary, as an adult woman, Joseph is apparently gone, Mary would go to visit Jesus with her, with her other kids and they'd show up to some place that he was visiting nearby, and he'd have a crowd of people he's teaching. And they'd be like, hey, tell Jesus that mom and his mother's here and his siblings are here. And they'd go tell Jesus, hey, your mom's here. He'd be like, I mean, yeah, but you know who my mother really is? My siblings are really the people who are listening to my talk, the people who are doing the will of God. That's my mother. Those are my siblings. What are we then? You know? And then she watches him work himself to death. Be taken into Jerusalem at a feast day where she would have been there. Here's the people that he served all those years start yelling, crucify him, crucify him. Taken and beaten and brought out to a cross to be hung and crucified and die a horrible death. Roman execution was brutal. It was public and painful and humiliating to be a deterrent from anybody else ever wanting to cross against Rome. And the Jewish authorities had to convince the Romans to crucify Jesus because they didn't want to at the time. And so she's out there and she's there. And she gets to stand in front of a cross and watch her son die. 
And I picture her standing there in that cross, looking at her suffering. How do you feel when your kids suffer? Watching her son suffer. And every moment he's suffering, remembering that man that she's watching in torment that she loves, remembering the time that she held him against her chest as a little baby wrapped in swaddling clothes. And remembering, you know what I'm talking about, remembering this child that she's grown to love and watch, and now she's watching him die. And afterwards, he'll be laid into a grave, and she'll, her son will be buried before she is. It's not supposed to go that way. And yes, he would rise again three days later, so that's all cool, right? And then 40 days later, he would leave for good, be gone for the rest of her life. He's out of there, back to glory. Did she have a macro view? And couldn't at some point along the way she'd be like, I thought that this was going to turn out different. I thought he'd be the king of Israel. I'd be the king's mom. That's pretty cool. Did she know it wouldn't be that way? Did she know it would be this way? Did she understand what would happen? When's the payoff? I know the payoff's fine now. It's been 2,000 years. He's in heaven. She's in heaven. Everything's wonderful, right? But does that work for you and me? Are we okay with that? What do we do as we get older in life and what we thought was supposed to happen a certain way doesn't go that way. What do we do when we were young and trusting God? I'm going to live for God and serve God. And then we get older and it doesn't unpack the way we thought it might. We didn't know how it would unpack. We just thought it would be pretty good. We're not necessarily health, wealth, and prosperity gospel people. But we thought at least in some way it's going to get pretty good. And then we get older in life and it ain't turning out quite right. Later comes and it's like, what in the world is this mess? That would be Mary. What do you do when later comes and it's not perfect? Do we keep on trusting? It's harder to do. Do you keep on trusting? You sit there and say, I don't know what this is all about. I'm done. I'm done. Let me say this to you. And I know some of you, your whole life, you say, I've tried to serve the Lord my whole life. I, look, Michelle and I got married at a young age. We walked forward. We um, got to the space in our life where we we're uh, serving the Lord with our lives. We're going to be pastors and serve the Lord full time. And we got to that space. We got to that space. And guess what happened? We thought, now we're serving the Lord. It's going to be good. And it has been good. But it's also been tough. It's also had some curveballs. It's also had some valleys in the, with the mountains. It's been some trials in the triumphs. And if you're not careful, you get to a spot in life where you sit there and say, it's later and it sure isn't perfect. Do you keep on trusting? that all things do work together for good to those who love God? Do you get to later and say, I still believe the promises of God? Or do you say, I'm done? So here's the problem. We're tempted to throw in the towel sometimes in that space right there. But let me just say something to us. Are we really living for that moment? When later gets here and it's still not perfect, is that the moment we're living for? Do we live our entire lives for that moment to have gained the whole world? Is that the culmination of what life is about right then? Is any moment of your life, wherever you are right now, is this the moment that you've lived for right now? That if you've gained the whole world and all your dreams haven't come true, that it doesn't matter? That this is all that matters is right now? Is that who, where we are today? Isn't there a better day on beyond? You say, well, what's beyond now? Heaven someday? Sure. When time is no more, when real living begins forever? If we have to wait till glory, when, when, when the real party begins... For God's promises to fully be realized, can't we accept and trust that those are good days coming? And can't we believe and trust that he's trustworthy? What do we do when later comes and it's still not perfect? 
Well, Mary is at the beginning of the journey, and she's like, I got some problems in front of me. I got to talk to Joseph. Got to face the town. I got to go. But she also had some promises. So what does Mary do in this moment? Well, she responds by praising. Mary responded, oh, how my soul praises the Lord. Again, don't be flippant about that. Let's not do that. If you and I were here in that boat today, would our first impulse be praising? I might be praying. Oh, God, how do I talk to my fiancé? Oh, God, how do, uh, how do I, you know, what's going to happen? Oh, God, please take care of me. God, please protect me. She just breaks out and praises God. Oh, how my soul praises the Lord, my sp- how my spirit rejoices in God, my Savior. For he took notice of his lowly servant girl, and from now on all generations will call me blessed. In other words, she chose to believe the promises before they were realized. For the mighty one is holy, and he has done great things for me. He shows mercy from generation to generation to all who fear him. His mighty arm has done tremendous things. He has scattered the proud and haughty ones. He has brought down princes from their thrones and exalted the humble. He has filled the hungry with good things and has sent the rich away with empty hands. It's always interesting to me, not just today but in ancient times, how much the angst between the rich and the poor, the tension between the two is. He has helped his servant Israel remember to be merciful and remember to be merciful For he made this promise to our ancestors, to Abraham, Isaac, and his children forever. Now, what's interesting is Mary praises God for his ancient promises and believing that in, not in her lifetime, not in her lifetime, but in generations to come, this blessing will bless the world, including her. Beyond her life. Beyond the problems that she was going to face because of this opportunity, she believed in the promises of God. And I want to say this today as we get ready to wrap up. I want to say this today, that if you're here today and you've you've decided to trust the Lord, I'm the Lord's servant, you know, like Mary said, and as you've gone through life, you've run into problems that you didn't anticipate, obstacles you didn't want, and heartaches you never would have asked for. I want to encourage you to do something that Mary does so well as she faced the beginning of her problems looking forward. And that is this. Let's keep praising through the problems while you wait for the promise. That's it. Someone in this room desperately needs to hear that today. And I hope God's Spirit speaks to your heart. The most important thing you can take away from Sunday today when you go home is to keep praising through the problems while you wait for the promise. So when's that going to work out? I don't know. But we know that all things work together for good to those who love God, Romans 8.28 tells us. But you got the problems of first. You got it, you're, face, you're in them or you're facing them. Keep praising. I know it's hard. I, I just recently, I just, just very recently, I took a time to sort through some things that were just weighing on my heart, things that just were thrown in my lap that I, and I was just struggling. And I always remember this too late because I'm, I'm a thick-headed idiot. So I remembered, oh, wait, I should... Go take a walk, and I like to take walks at night and pray. So I take a walk, and I'm, I'm going to go pray about it. And you know what I've always taught myself to do? Don't complain until you praise God for a while. Praise God for who he is, what he's done, what he's done. Tonight. Celebrate what he's done already. Celebrate what he's promised to do. Look ahead. It's amazing when we praise through the problems while we wait for the promise. It's amazing how much it helps us. It doesn't take the problems away, but it gives us a light through the darkness. And maybe that's you today. That's what you need to do. Well, 
Today's story ends in verse 56. It says, Mary stayed with Elizabeth about three months. Now, do the math. That means she stayed until Elizabeth was fully due. Either she stayed and helped her give birth, or she's like, I'm getting out of here before that. I don't need to see that. I'll get traumatized. I don't know. But either way, she stayed till the end, and then she went back to her own home. She went back to that conversation with Joseph and to the community looking at her saying, is that a baby bump I see? What's going on here? She went back home at the end of three months. And we'll pick up the story there because Joseph is our next conversation and he starts next week. So we'll pick up there next week. But before we're done today, let's keep praising through the problems while we wait for the promise. And along the way, let's say to the Lord, whatever happens in my life, I recognize your lordship over the circumstances of my life and I trust you, I am your servant and may your will be done. When Mary said that earlier, that's what Jesus said at the Garden of Gethsemane. When Jesus was getting ready to go to the cross, he said, if it be possible, let this cup of suffering pass from me, Father, but not my will but yours be done. Well, Jesus' mama said that before he was born. She's like, I'm your servant. May your will be done. May it come to pass. What an attitude to have. And then to keep on praising throughout our journey.